0: Over the course of the past few weeks during this series, we focused on the hope that we have in Christ in the midst of of general messes in life, a messed up world, messed up people, messed up plans. How do we handle it, though, when people and plans collide together to conspire against us? As if we're feeling like maybe the main character in the Home Alone series who is constantly guarding against and trying to fend off the bad guys and their every attack against him. How do we find hope when others very, really, very specifically want to bring misery into our lives or make our lives unmanageable? As we heard in our, our lesson from Matthew, Herod took maliciousness, that, that malevolence, to new heights, not only in his efforts to thwart the plans of the wise men, the Magi who came to visit him, actually seeking his counsel to honorably worship Jesus, but also. In his executive order, as Matthew told us, to to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. How twisted does somebody have to be to to give or issue that sort of an edict to be so uncaring about everybody else's lives to end the lives of, of innocent children to protect his own? And yet we're grateful... That as the rest of Matthew records for us, God intervened and thwarted Herod's malicious plans against Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, and even the wise men themselves who weren't kept from worshiping Jesus. Matthew also tells us how the Lord did that. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. So in some cases, when when others have it out for us, as we see here, God does miraculously intervene. There was a, a case of divine intervention for God to thwart Herod's plans and rescue his son. And obviously, we are grateful that he did because it meant that, that Jesus was allowed to, to live, to grow up, to, to carry out everything that was necessary for our salvation. But is it realistic for us to expect the same kind of divine intervention when others conspire or plot against us? Do we really expect that God is going to, to send an angel either in a dream or a vision to warn us, uh, to, to lay out for us the next steps that we have to take? when others are opposed to us? Well, if that isn't going to happen, then then where do we find hope? How do we handle when others seek to to mess up our lives? Well, we're going to come back to that, but, but before we do, there's actually one big challenge that gets in the way. And and, and if we can address this, if we can grasp this and embrace this, it will actually be probably one of the most helpful things that we can do when it comes to dealing with others' plans against us. And admittedly, it's not easy. And for that reason, sadly, many people will never do the work, will never embrace this challenge or own up to it when it actually is the most likely thing to see those concerns or issues of others' ill will against us suddenly subside and and not be nearly as prevalent as they used to be. Would you like to hear what, what this challenge or the key to overcoming this is? Well, it isn't actually a what so much. It's a who. And that who is... You. You see, more often than not, when it's a matter of somebody having it out for us, somebody having an ax to grind, somebody conspiring against us, you know where that's coming from? Right here. It really doesn't, more often than not, have anything, any basis in reality, but it's really a narrative, a story that we've told ourselves and we listen to it over and over so many times that we start to actually believe it. So never mind if there's, there's any basis for it in reality, we've, we've established and, and elaborated such a plot, such a storyline in our head for somebody else who has it out against us that we refuse to believe or listen to any other possible explanation. So, no, your coworker isn't conspiring to, to undermine you. Your neighbor, that thing your neighbor said that you took in the, the worst way, they didn't mean it that way at all. Your family member, yeah, eventually. I mean, sometimes they do try to get under our skin, but, but they have other priorities than making your life miserable. No, the, the, the world is, the universe isn't conspiring against you. And, and haters aren't hell-bent on ruining your life, most of that is, is up here and doesn't have any basis in reality. And, and this is a very tough pill for us to swallow, but here is the truth of the matter. Other people are not thinking about you or as concerned about you nearly as much as you are thinking about you and concerned about you. Frankly, you just don't matter that much to most people for them to, to spend their life plotting and scheming against you and neither do I. Now that's a tough pill to swallow and, and we might then be led to ask, why, why are we that way? Why is it that we, we imagine things to be worse off, that we, we, we devise these plans, these schemes in, in our mind that just aren't based in reality? Well, that reality goes all the way back to, to Eden. See, we are, are bent more because of our old Adam, our sinful nature, to playing the victim. Just as Adam and Eve did when God first confronted them on their sin, it wasn't their fault. They blamed somebody else. And when we do the same, when we blame others, then that makes it easier for us to play the victim. It's everybody else's fault, not mine. Everybody else owes me something. I deserve to be happy. And when we tell ourselves that over and over in our heads, we believe it, and, and then we we have no problem fabricating and imagining these elaborate schemes and plots that others have it out for us. Now, we can play the victim, or we can come to the conclusion like Paul did, that for those of us who are in Christ, we aren't victims, we're We're victors. In the second lesson for today from Romans, this is is what Paul acknowledged. Paul, who had a right to recognize that he was, in fact, a victim on the the part of many other plots and schemes against him. Yet, here's what he says in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not a victim, but a victor. A conqueror. Paul didn't let it play out in his mind that everybody was against him. Woe is he, Everybody owes him. It's everybody else's fault. He realized that in Christ, he was a victor. And as difficult as that is for us to come to grips with that and acknowledge that and own up to that, here's the beauty of it. It's also the easiest thing then for us to fix. See, consider that versus when there there actually is a genuine, a real issue that somebody has with us. That we can't control. That's on them. But when it's up here, when it's in our mind, then we actually have the power to choose not to play the victim and to see that we're victors in Christ. To rewrite that that story in our mind that, that isn't really based in reality anyways. How do we find that out, though? How do we determine when it's just up here and when it is a real scheme or plot against me that somebody has to mess up my life? Because we acknowledge that does happen as well. So how do I know the difference? Well, the first thing I'd encourage you to do is to go back and, and play through, review all of the, the actions, the words that this person that you think is opposed to you. Play them back in your mind and, and do it differently this time. Put the best construction on it. See if there's a, a different way to understand what these, this other person has said or done to you. And, and maybe they're going through something in their life. Maybe there's a, a, a different way to interpret what they said or did. That might be a simple fix. And if that's not clear to you after that, then then here's another step you could take. Talk to them. Because if there is an issue that they have with you anyways, you're not going to get anywhere without confronting and, and talking and working through it. And probably more often than not, as you talk to them about it, you'll find that you are totally misinterpreting everything and that they have no ill will toward you. If you aren't comfortable doing that, taking that step, then another possible solution is to to share it with somebody else, to share your concerns and and see if they see things the same way that you are or if they have an entirely different view. And those things will help make it clear to you, is it a a real issue that somebody has? Is somebody really plotting against you or is it just, just up here? Are you just guilty of playing the victim? I said we would come back to it. Because there are those cases where, where people really do have an axe to grind, really are scheming, conniving, plotting against us. Herod is a perfect example. There's no explanation other than that in his twisted mind, he was pure wickedness, pure evil in his plans and his intentions. So when that's the case, when we're really dealing with a genuine case of that and not just this stinking thinking, thinking in, a, in our own minds, assuming the worst in a scenario, how do we handle it then? Well, there's there's three things that, that I think are short-term steps to take. These are, are kind of the essentials. And then there's, there's three that are a little more challenging, might take a little bit longer, more long-term steps. So those first three that we want to focus on are these. We want to, to read, pray, and share. When you consider the... The difference between good teams, great teams, exceptional teams, really at any level, high school, college, professional, do you know what it is that sets apart the really exceptional teams from the ordinary or the good? We all acknowledge that there are different levels of talent, of course, and yet, here's the bigger key. The exceptional teams carry out the fundamentals, the basics, exceptionally well. They don't overlook them. They don't take them for granted. Those are essential to their success. So when we talk about these basics of dealing with not only others plotting against us, but in general, how good are you at carrying out these fundamentals, reading, praying, and sharing? How how basic, how essential, how foundational is your time in God's Word? When it comes to reading the Bible, is it a daily thing? Are you consistent in your devotional life or or is it sporadic, occasional? Is it if you get around to it or if you remember to do it? And here's why that matters. Remember a little while ago when I had said that as we're thinking through these scenarios in our minds that the reality, as, as tough it is, as it is to hear, is that other people aren't thinking about you as much as you're thinking about yourself, that other people don't care about you as much as, as you care about yourself. There's one exception to that. You are always on God's heart and his mind, constantly. Always have been, always will be through eternity. God is always thinking about you. And and all of the plans that he carried out to see that his son, uh, our Savior Jesus, could could do what was necessary to, to choose us, to adopt us, to bring us into his family, that's the proof and the evidence of his love for us. And the assurance that we are forgiven and and that he truly does care about us. And that his mercies really are new every morning. But if we don't read about that on a regular basis, then we take it for granted. We forget it. We doubt it. Or it gets pushed on the back burner. So read. Spend time. Get your face in the book. And then pray. And these two are are so essential together, really, to read the word and to pray, to talk to God after we've heard him speak to us. And and what a great opportunity to marry these two basic disciplines of the Christian faith. Read through Psalms and you'll realize that as you read through them, you have prayers that are already set for you. We can pray through the Psalms because the psalmists again and again and again are lamenting others who plot and scheme against them. And they wear their emotions on their sleeve, pouring out their hearts to God in prayer. So as you read through those psalms, you have tailor-made prayers for when others are conniving, plotting, and scheming against you as well. But express those emotions and and how you're feeling to God. Take it to him in prayer. Don't just let it be a, a hymn that we sing. Take everything to him in prayer. But actually do it. Talk to God. And then share with others. See, this is a lot of times where we'll stop. We, we focus on, and rightly so, we focus on our relationship with God. We're in his word and we're praying to him and we feel like that's maybe dialed in. But then we leave that third component, that essential element of how God has designed for us to grow in community. It's with fellow believers. Share with your brothers and sisters in Christ the burden that you're bearing when you're feeling hard pressed because somebody else has an ax to grind or is, is plotting against you. And when you do that, you enlist the support and the encouragement of others. Think of how silly it would be, how foolish to take on Satan and all of his hordes, his his minions and his demons, by yourself. It'd be absolute, utter foolishness. God has given you brothers and sisters in Christ to go to war with him, your fellow soldiers in Christ to, to bear burdens with you. And not only that, to then amplify and exponentially increase the number of prayers that are going up on your behalf as you go through this ordeal. So read, pray, and share. And as you get really good at those basics, those fundamentals, those short-term steps, then then we can work on the long-term steps. And those long-term steps, again, run to God for refuge and rest. Love your enemies. And thank God in advance for what good he's going to bring through this. The first one here is tied to the the first three initial steps. You're going to get much better at running to God for refuge and rest when you're regularly reading in his word. And think of how appropriate that is actually in the midst of turmoil and hardship. Think of all the titles and the invitations that the Lord gives to us. He calls himself our, our refuge, our fortress, our strength, our stronghold. The list goes on. When do you need all of those things but when you are when you are feeling the burden and the weight of being under attack, that's when you go to a stronghold and a fortress and God says, let me be that. Let me be your refuge. Let me give you rest when you are weary and you're burdened and you're worn out. This is one of those great opportunities where, where God, when he allows somebody to, to attack you, he says, hey, I'm here to be your refuge and your strength. And don't be surprised if as you grow in your ability to do that, God has a way of reminding us through his word that if we are worried about some human being, some person on this planet plotting and scheming against us, that God reminds us the enemy, the adversary, who more than anybody else plots and schemes and still today is hell-bent on your destruction and God reminds you that he already handled that enemy, that adversary for you that he has already thwarted his plans, crushed his head, defeated him thoroughly, and that will be made clear when, when Jesus returns on the last day. So find your, your refuge and rest in the Lord. And growing in that will also enable you to better carry out that second long-term step. Not as easy, but love your enemies so quickly we pray for the Lord to, to eliminate or uh, to alleviate us from any stress or problems with enemies, to get along with everybody. And we miss the point that, that it's our very enemies that, that give us the opportunity to put into practice what Christ has called us to do, to love them. If we had no enemies, how would we ever do what he calls us to do? To love our enemies, those who are scheming against us. And then where our eyes are open to a greater good that, that not only am I called to love my neighbor? Maybe that's what I need. Maybe the Lord is allowing this so that I grow in my ability to love others. But it's probably also likely what my enemy needs too. To have somebody unconditionally love them and model for them what it looks like to see Jesus love through another real flesh and blood human being. So love your enemies. And then that third long-term step, to recognize that God is doing good in this and thank him for it. Don't wait till the end of it to thank him, but thank him in advance in the midst of this hardship and adversity with somebody else that you're going through. Say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you are, and so I'm thanking you already for the good that's going to come out of this. Joseph was, was the model for that. Not Joseph in our account today from Matthew, but Genesis Joseph. The one who was reunited with his brothers and, and expressed that very confidence. He said, I know that you had my harm in mind. That's what you were trying to do. And yet God worked good through it. We have the same confidence that God promises that even, even when others plot against us, He's going to bring good through it. So rather than waiting till the end, right on the front of that, that tension and that adversity, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the good that you're going to do in my life and in the lives of others through this. It's my hope that that as we deal with this kind of adversity, as we look for hope when others seek to mess us up, that as we get better at implementing those steps, read and and pray and share, and then run to God for refuge and rest, love your enemies, and thank God in advance for the good he's going to do through this, that that we will find real and lasting hope. And that carrying these things out this week and and beyond, but especially this week as we look ahead to our celebration of Jesus' birth, we have a, a, a refreshed, a newfound joy in the birth of our Savior, in celebrating that because it's a reminder to us how God intervened, how God not only thwarted, but sometimes used the evil, wicked plans of others against his Son, ultimately to carry out his perfect purposes, to bring you and me life and joy and salvation through the Christ child, through Jesus. Blessings as we celebrate that birth this week. Amen.